Hello and welcome to the Granta Podcast. My name is Rachel Allen and today I'm delighted to be joined by Juan Pablo Villalobos, author of Down the Rabbit Hole and most recently Quesadillas. We talked about the difficulty of translation, how he managed to satirise the stereotyping of Mexican culture and class struggle in Mexico. We begin with Juan giving a short reading from the beginning of Quesadillas. Professional insulters. Go and fuck your fucking mother, you bastard. Fuck off. I know this isn't an appropriate way to begin, but the story of me and my family is full of insults. If I'm really going to report everything that happened, I'm going to have to write down a whole lot of mother-related insults. I swear there's no other way to do it, because the story unfolded in the place where I was born and grew up. Lagos de Moreno, in Los Altos, Jalisco, a region that, to add insult to injury, is located in Mexico. Allow me to point out a few things about my town, for those of you who never been there. There are more cows than people, more charro horsemen than horses, more priests than cows, and the people like to believe in the existence of ghosts, miracles, spaceships, saints, and so forth. The first question I'd like to ask you about the novel um, is about the political context uh, in which you wrote it um, and how it felt to write about a period of economic instability in Mexico from a personal point of view, um, but also with this farcical edge. Yeah, then um, Quesadillas is set back in 85 and 86. It was a period in the economic history of Mexico of hyperinflation and constant devaluation. And it was a period of change because it was, I think, maybe in 84, we started to have this uh, change to to a neoliberal program, a really aggressive neoliberal program with uh, Miguel de la Madrid Hurtado, who was president at the time, and after him with Carlos Salinas de Gortari, who was first known as the great modernizer of the Mexican economy and then as the great villain of our recent history because when he finished his presidency the next president Ernesto Cedillo uh, suffered this huge economic crisis maybe you remember back in 94 95 that it was known in the international context as the tequila effect and um, it was because uh, Carlos Salinas apparently was a really brilliant economic strategist, but it was he was he wasn't, and all that he was doing was like hiding all the problems and just. Um, but then, and the novel is set back in '85, when these changes are happening, and uh, and its exploration on the political culture of a party called PRI. Partido Revolucionario Institucional, you can translate it as um, Revolutionary Institutionalized Party. And it's not a joke, it's like, imagine <laughs> to institutionalize a revolution, you know, it's, which is really absurd. Mm. And uh, this party ruled Mexico for 80, 70 years, from 29 to 2000, and they created this culture based on corruption based on injustice, based on um, uh, inequity, etc. And, uh, and now they're back because they 
they won the elections last year in 2012 and they are governing now with Peña Nieto. And for me, when I wrote this novel back in 2008, 2009 was when I started to write the novel. Um, it's, it seemed clear that the pre were coming back. So I was very interested in rethinking the culture of this party. And um, obviously there's, there's elements of the book that are sort of arguably semi-autobiographical. Um, when you're talking about uh, the quesadillas uh, that, uh, that the mother serves, um, the children, they have a sort of hierarchy in as, as to how the economy is running at the moment. Um, and I wonder if you could perhaps briefly read that section for us and then maybe just talk a bit more about writing about this economy from a personal point of view. Yeah, of course. We were all well aware of the roller coaster that was the national economy due to the fluctuating thickness of the quesadillas my mother served at home. We'd even invented categories, inflationary quesadillas, normal quesadillas, devaluation quesadillas, and poor men's quesadillas, listed in order of greatest affluence to greatest parsimony. The inflationary quesadillas were thick in order to use up the cheese that my mother had bought in a state of panic at the announcement of a new rise in the price of food and the genuine risk that, this, that her supermarket bill would go from billions to trillions of pesos. The normal quesadillas were the ones we would have eaten every day if we lived in a normal country. But if we had been living in a normal country, we wouldn't have been eating quesadillas, and so we also called them impossible quesadillas. The valuation quesadillas became less substantial due to psychological rather than economic reasons. They were the quesadillas of chronic national depression and were the most common in my parents' house. Finally, you had the poor man's quesadillas in which the presence of cheese was literary. You open, you open up and instead of adding melted cheese, my mother had written the word cheese on the surface of the tortilla. This to me is such a brilliant and innocent part of the book um, from this child's perspective. Um, was there any reason that you chose to do it that way? It almost feels like a kind of a naive reach towards understanding economy while at the same time that's that's all that the child knows or the teen knows. Yeah, um, Orestes is 13 and then 14 in the novel. And uh, he's writing from from the... Um, maybe 20, uh, 2009 when he, he's 38 or something like that. He's remembering things that happened 25 years ago. But I was trying to write, to create a voice that was sentimentally teenage, but intellectually an adult. That was the challenge. That was what I, what I was trying to do. And going to the bi biographical, autobiographical stuff, my idea was to take some aspects of my family history and the history of my life and some historical issues like this economic context and the culture of this party and put it put these things in a blender with really nonsense fiction really absurd fiction and turn on the, the blender to see what happened and to mix this all to see what happened.
So I wonder if you could outline um, a bit about what happens in Quesadillas, uh, plot and things like that. Yeah, Quesadillas is a story of Orestes, nicknamed Ore Oreo, Oreo, like the cookies. And um, Oreo and his family, it's a big family, seven siblings and the father and the mother, they lived in the top of a hill called Cerro de la Chingada and uh, in a small city called Lagos de Moreno. That is coincidentally, just coincidentally, the city where I grew up. And um, the, uh, the story uh, takes place in the, in the 80s, in this context of economic instability. And uh, at the beginning of the, of the novel, the um, youngest brothers, who are twins, fake twins, or pretend twins, in the in Rosalind Harvey's translation, um, they disappeared. So Orestes and his oldest brother, called Aristotle, because all the brothers have Greek names, because the father is absolutely uh, mad about Greek culture, Hellenic culture. Um, they are they they run away from home to look after the twins. And then a lot of absurd things happen in the novel, including spaceships and inseminated cows and uh, a new neighbor and neighbors who are Polish. And um, it's a really absurd plot. Um, and it's at the same time a political novel. Um, you actually talk about it in the in the first page of your of the of the novel how this is a country where people believe in aliens and spaceships and all that kind of thing. So is it almost like a a, a satirical kind of swipe at that? At the same time, is it being a novel about economics and 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 politics? Yeah, it is, but it's also a parody of the Mexican identity, and it's a it's a parody of the foreigners gaze to Mexican identity like Andre Breton went to Mexico back in 1938 and he said this phrase Mexico is a surrealistic country that everyone abroad started to repeat like yeah Mexico it's a very surrealistic country and we the Mexicans finished believing this that we are a surrealistic country and starting to explain a lot of things that are not surrealistic, they are just horrible things. And uh, with this excuse, like, yeah, we are very surrealistic. So in, a, in one way, the novel is a parody of this gaze and a reflection on how we, the Mexicans, and how the foreigners build this image of Mexico. So uh, m mostly in the last chapter of the book, which is really, really absurd. It's like a nonsense um, um, climax. Um, I'm trying to to make this uh, satire about this idea of Mexico as a magical, as an exotic, as a surrealistic country. The issue of class runs through the novel, and the characters within the family are always proclaiming how they're middle class yet it feels more like all the characters are searching for a sense of class or place within an upset system. I wonder if you could talk a little more about how you approach this and why. Mentally, they are not poor. They want to be middle class. So the mother and the father keep saying, like, we're not poor, we're middle class. 
And this is a joke about um, a very serious issue that is this um, this um, precarious state of the middle class in Mexico, like always trying to survive and trying not to descend to to be poor. So um, Orestes, the the main worry of Orestes is finding out, is to find out if they are middle class or if they are poor. And these new neighbors, the Polish family, arrived living uh, next door. They are rich. And, they, and then there's this new uh, project to, to, for constructing a luxurious condominium in the hill. And now that's how Oreo will discover the class differences and what what means to be rich and what means to be poor for example uh, he 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 goes to to the house of this polish and he discovered that they have a room for the for the um, maid for the maid yeah. and it's like a, for it's what's this you know and they have just a room for games or a room for for the office of the father etc and, and that were things that oreo was incapable of imagining and he said, like, and, and there's a quote in the book that the the, um, the sad was not being poor and not have things. The, the, the saddest thing was not yeah. being not capable mm. of imagining of what you can do with money. Mm, mm. And Oreo himself is quite a interesting character, this sort of precocious poetry reciting child who's inquisitive and has learned to be quick on his feet and that kind of stuff. Um, how long did it take for you to build his character and how much of it did you take from your own young self? No, I was very different when I was at that age. Um, I think Oreo, like Touchley in my first novel, in Down the Rabbit Hole, they have one thing in common. Both characters are bored and what moves them is trying to escape from this boring reality. Touchedly in Down the Rabbit Hole was a kid trapped in this palace and he um, has no contact with, with other kids and uh, he always do the same routine, etc. So he's trying to escape through fantasy. And uh, Oreo has this really boring reality in this small city where never happened nothing happens and uh, and he's also trying to escape from this reality and he managed to escape from this reality so um Oreo is bored and is uh, pissed off <laughs> he's really he has this anger about his reality and the truth is that what happened is that he already understood what happened in this country. And he doesn't like. And he's like rebelling, rebelling against it. With all this fury and with all this, this satire and with all these um, ironic statements. When it came to the translation of the book, because obviously there's so much comedy, there's so much farce. Um, was it a difficult process in translating this and making sure that it 
that it was sort of, of clear in in the the languages that it was translated into. Um, did you have a did you work very very closely with the translator? Yeah, yeah. This book uh, needs uh, a lot of work with the translators because in the original in the Spanish it, it has a lot of slang to Mexican slang, and all these insults have different uh, levels of intensity mm. and. Um, and I work, worked a lot with Rosalind Harvey, maybe more than with Down the Rabbit Hole, um, to be sure that um, the meanings were not the same, but closed. Mm. And um, Rosalind is really a brilliant translator, and she made a wonderful version of the novel. Mm. And I always said, like a... Uh, like the, I'm a better writer in English than in Spanish <laughs> <laughs> because I she's she's really brilliant and but it's difficult now I, I'm work I work with the Portuguese trans translation and it's my wife who, who translate my work into Portuguese she's translator and uh, and with the French tra translator now too and it it's been a really difficult process because um, Trying to get this humor to another language is, um, it's an into another political and economic context. It's not easy. How does it work with your wife? It's interesting. <laughs> it's not easy. But uh, in Down the Rabbit Hole, maybe it was um, more difficult because it was the first time. And as I know Portuguese and I write some things in Portuguese, I was like... Uh, giving all my opinions and uh, like very tense with this process and I ju and for this book it was like I know you will do a brilliant translation so you just just do it and then I just will read it when it's concluded and uh, it was great. Yeah. Is there anything that ever proves too sort of naughty or true to the original language that is just impossible to translate that you just sort of have to cut in a translated version does that ever happen well now we, we have a uh, an issue with the name of the hill where the family lives is um, Cerro de la Chingada in, in English I don't know how it would be the translation like the hill of the armpit or something like that <laughs> yeah and in, in Portuguese we, we translate it into Mojo da puta que pariu. It's like uh, uh, the heel of the motherfucker. Oh, it's it's always like that. It, right. You have to look for uh, for um, something similar. And uh, Rosalind decided to to let to to let Cerro de la Chingada with a note explaining mm. what it means. So this is very difficult because the, this word chingada and this verb chingar had a lot of have a lot of meanings in 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 the Mexican Spanish and we use it in very different situations and it depends on the context the meaning of this what kinds of things does it mean chingar is it's like to fuck right and, and but sometimes chingon which is an adjective it's someone who is really brilliant and this is dif difficult to understand very difficult yeah and that chingadera it's something. It's like something really bad that someone made to you. So, um, 
their opposite meanings. You got to be careful how you use yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for foreigners trying to uh, to to learn Spanish in Mexico, they always use it wrong. These mm, words. Mm, mm. Um, and how do you? feel about translating other people's work is it is, is the process similar when you're working with a translator to translate your work as to when you're translating other people's do you see the same processes come into play yeah i just published my first translation which is a brazilian novel called all dogs are blue who was published here recently by my publisher by and other stories it's a really beautiful book really tough book and um this experience was different because Rodrigo, unfortunately, he's dead. So, but I, I was asking all these um, questions to Ramon Melo, which is who is, who was friend with Rodrigo, and knows very well Rodrigo's work. And uh, it's a very interesting process, the process of translating. I, I think of translating as a writing experience. For me, it has no difference between the creative process in writing a new book or in translating it. For me, translators are writers who are doing versions, versions. of the novel. And uh, it's. I think it's in, um, more difficult to translate than to write because you don't have the same freedom. Mm. You have to to take care of what you're doing the and frame. to be respectful mm. with the mm. with the with the book and when you are writing your your fiction you don't have this mm. similarly absurd i think and surreal at times all dogs are blue um feels like that that's that's your taste in a way um i wondered who mm. it is that you like to read who are you reading at the moment who informed this taste and style perhaps. yeah obviously i write I write the kind of literature I like, or I try to, to like, to, to write the kind of literature I like. Um, I'm a big fan of some writers, um, I'm, I'm going to talk about um, Hispanic uh, writers, like Cesar Aida. Cesar Aida is an Argentinian author. He wrote like 80 novellas, really tiny, really small novellas. Some of them are published in, in English. I really love Mario Lebrero, who is a, who's from Uruguay. He died like two years ago. And both of them, Aira and Lebrero, have this kind of really imaginative literature, really um, absurd, really um, free and uh, non-realistic. And then I also love Daniel Sada, who I think was the greatest Mexican writer in the last 50 years maybe he died like two years ago too he was 55 or something like that he was not uh, old and uh, almost never was the only novel of Daniel Sada translated into English because he's a baroque writer and it's really difficult to translate him because he's even inventing words and try and working with the slang of a region of Mexico and sometimes even I don't understand some quotes or some things he's saying but he's a genius he's brilliant and in some way Quesadillas it's a very French novel because the, the mainly influences in this novel are French it's 
de Ubuhua of Alfred Jahi, Raymond Queno, um, Beckett, and UNESCO. They are not French, but they wrote um, most of his work, their works in, in France and in French. So this embodies Bian. So this kind of writers uh, were the most important for me when I was writing Quesadillas. It was like the model. Um, and what are you working on at the moment? Are you working towards another, another novel? Yeah, I'm working in my third novel. Uh, it will be a novel also about Mexico. And I see these three books as a trilogy. They don't have uh, connections between them, like uh, the same plot or the same characters. But they have uh, the three novels. They are um, trying to explore the social, economic and political realities of Mexico from a family perspective in three different stages of life. Down the Rabbit Hole is a book about childhood. Um, Quesadillas is about the teenage years. And this third one will be about, um, uh, it will be narrated by an old man. And I think I will close with this third book, like uh, this cycle of, of novels. And maybe after this, I will write about some, some different issues. I still don't know, but um, I see these three books as a trilogy. I wonder if you could perhaps talk a little bit about your writing process with the books. Um, it's very interesting to know that you're going to uh, sort of uh, put them as a trilogy. And I just wondered um, if that was uh, an intention from the four, how long your first book took you to write and, and the second also. No, the idea of a trilogy just came to me when I finished the second book. Um, the process of the f of down the r of writing down the rabbit hole and then quesadillas were very different. I wrote down the rabbit hole the first version of down the rabbit hole like in five or six months, but then I worked two years correcting the book because um, the the um, down the rabbit hole was all about the boys and these child boys. So I was very insecure if I was aiming the, the the target. So I just keep correcting and correcting and working with friends who read the manuscript and they gave me some suggestions and then I work again and again until I, I arrived to a final version. And quesadillas were very different. I wrote seven times quesadillas wow. during two years and a half. And every time, the novel was different, was transforming. Obviously, the characters were mainly the same and the plot was relatively the same. But every time I started, the novel became a different novel. And um, the, la the last version, the seventh version, which is the, the, the Quesadillas, um, the final version of Quesadillas, I wrote it like in four months, in four months was fast but it was the um, result of a two-year process mm. and that's why it was fast because at the time all the characters and the voice and the plot was in my mind it was all, uh, all um, ready to be written 
And now I'm working in my third novel, and I'm currently in the fifth version. Two more to go. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping this would be <laughs> the one. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> to go to seven or eight. And um, and I don't like to talk about what I'm working. Mm, I'm superstitious mm. about yeah, that. And, no, um, but um, but it's been a different process again. It's been different. I'd just like to ask a little about how the book's been received in Mexico as you talk about wanting to write the novel um, on account of uh, the political situation in Mexico at the moment and um, and how people have taken it uh, in Mexico. Yeah, well, it was well received by the critics and, and, and mainly I, I received good, um, good comments from journalists um, because they are well informed of what's happening in Mexico and they know the history of Mexico and apparently they like the book but I have to say that the um, importance of literature in Mexico it's not as in the UK the, the place of literature in Mexico it's really not an important place so we have a very huge country but with a few readers you know? um, and, and maybe this is very um, convenient for the politicians you know because the influence of the writers and the influence of the books itself and the life of the country and the political life of the country it's really minimum so it's not maybe like in France or here in the UK where if you published a controversial book maybe there would they would be like a huge discussion in the media and between the critics and the readers etc it's difficult it's, it's very difficult that to happen in Mexico um, okay well I think uh, you've answered all the questions I'd like to and um, it's been very interesting to hear about the book and thank you for your time today thank you for the invitation Thank you for listening to the Granta podcast, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and selected British Airways flights. To subscribe to Granta, go to www.granta.com.